This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, the busiest mixed race, bisexual, polyamorous, atheist, comic book nerd, cat mom podcaster in this podcasting game. I have a bunch of stuff to fit into this intro and an overcrowded episode, so I'm going to try to make sure that we don't go too long. I'm actually going to cut a portion of this interview out and serve it up as bonus material for our Patreon sponsors uh, because there's a lot of meaty chunks, but I could not, if I kept it in its, in, in its whole, this episode would probably be about two and a half hours long, and I know people do not listen to two-hour podcasts. So I'm going to try to blur through this, uh, this intro so we can get to the meat of the episode because my guest today is awesome. There's a noticeable flip in conversation. At about the 55-minute 50, mark in discussion, I just abruptly say, we're coming to the end of this, and you know, we, we start to, and then I ask the question about uh, what do you love most about being mixed? But before that moment, I cut out about 45 minutes uh, to make sure that we hit you know, a good time for this episode. So when you hear that abrupt cutout, if you're sitting there like, dang, I wanted to know more, you can hear it if you are one of our Patreon sponsors. This is a really, really gross time to be asking people for money to support the show. So I haven't actively been promoting the Patreon and the PayPal or anything like that. Um, But at the same time, without the sponsorship for the show, I can't actively keep it going. I've had a reduction in my uh, work. My husband's had a reduction in work. So as long as the Patreon sponsorship comes through, I can keep the show actively going. If that does dwindle away, which is possible. I mean, if y'all aren't working, definitely turn off your Patreon sponsorship for now. But if you if you are and you can continue to support, I am very grateful for that. We have lost some sponsorship, but not enough to break the show or anything yet. And we've also gained some some Patreon sponsors. So I wanted to take a moment out to acknowledge the Patreon sponsors, because without y'all, like I've been saying, without y'all, this show does not exist right now. I have had a massive pay cut in my life predating COVID. And then now with COVID, it's even greater. So the fact that y'all are helping keep this show going financially, like literally, I, I have the time to do it, but I would not have the finances to do it. So I am very much appreciative. Uh, but let me shout out our newest Patreon sponsor, Andreas. I don't know if we've interacted. I don't know how long you've listened to the show, but uh, I sent you a message. So hopefully we can connect soon. Thank you so much for your sponsorship and for our continued sponsors that are, you know, keeping it going, even despite how crazy this time is right now. I just want to, I'm just going to run through the whole damn list thanking everybody. Um, Adela, Aiden, Amanda, Andreas, Dakota, Emma, Erica, Evelyn, Gretchen, Heather, 
Jennifer, John, Julia, Katie, Kayleen, Matt, Megan, Michelle, Mona Lisa, Morgan, Natalia, Nikki, Rebecca, Shay, slightly annoyed mixed chick who has been on the show before, Susan, and T. T knows who they are. Uh, thank you so much for keeping it going. I know it's a really tough time right now to to be putting out money if you maybe aren't getting in as much as you normally do. So I appreciate it. But also, if you need to pause or turn off your sponsorship during this time, please take care of yourselves first. And um, I'll keep the show going in whatever fashion I can if the if the money goes away, honestly. If it means I'm switching over to Instagram for a while or something like that, we'll do what we have to so that we can stay together and stay healthy during this time. So I put that out there. If you do want to sponsor the show, you can go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed and sponsor as low as a dollar to as high as anything you wish. And there are reward levels depending on what you sponsor at. But if it's not the time for it, it's just not the time for it. And I 100% get that. I am going to put the rest of this episode on there as bonus material for the people that are sponsoring. So there's that as well. Okay. Like I said, I got a ton of stuff to put out. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. And I hope I'm not talking too fast, but I don't want this to be like a 40 minute intro and then an hour long episode. Okay, so we are doing the social distancing virtual hangouts every Sunday still on Zoom. And even despite the fact that there was a holiday for some people on Sunday, we still had a bunch of people attend, which was amazing. We had a really good conversation that was our prompt was given to us by one of the participants. So I didn't even have to do the prompt this time. And I really feel like this is starting to grow into like a, a, a support team, like a support group where if we have something that we have to talk about related to mixedness, it's an open forum. If you just want to see another person's face because social distancing, that's that's happening too. It's not unlike my weekly knitting group that I used to have back in Boston, where we just kind of got together and knitting is what joined us. But we ended up talking about everything under the sun and we're all ages and all genders and all ethnic mixes. It's just awesome. So if you haven't participated yet, but you want to, you can go on over to Facebook, either the private group or the public page and click on events and you'll get access to the event page that way. If you're not on Facebook, but you do want to participate, you can either slide into my DMs on Twitter or Instagram and mention it and I will send you the link. Or you can send me an email at Charmaine at militantlymix.com. S is in Sam, H-A-R, M is in Mary, A, N is in Nancy, E, at militantlymix.com. And I will send you the information to access the Zoom call that way. You know, we're all taking care of each other as best as we can in there. And it has just been a wonderful group of people. And it's been exciting to see some of the same faces pop up every week. And it's always exciting to see a new person pop in and participate as well. Uh, this week, one of our new folks was Talia, and I realized after the fact that I didn't get your contact information or figure out how to communicate with you. So if you're listening to this, please reach out to me so that we can connect or come back next week because I, I wanted to send you the link to the the Facebook group. I apologize. I was a little bit off my game on this week's um, uh, group because I, I had kind of a rough night the night before and I was just, just kind of like meh. But then I saw everybody's faces and I was like, yay. And I'm really glad that we had we had such a good group today. All right. <laughs> so the next thing that I wanted to talk about is the Militantly Mixed Enamel Logo Pin Giveaway. I still, I'm still trying to figure it out, y'all. Like, we have a pretty huge show in terms of audience size for a mixed race show, for a niche podcast. 
in the grand scheme of podcasts, it's not the biggest audience. So I don't know how to actively, you know, hit the button so hard that it makes all kinds of people want to flock to participate in, in hangouts. I also know that because I am a one main operation, I do not always have the time or the, um, or like kind of remember to be posting constantly. Um, I usually kind of blow out a whole bunch of posts at one time. And then I spend the rest of the time, like looking for guests and trying to find people and, and things like that. And then I kind of do it again, which I should be stretching it out throughout the week. But um, it is it is tough because I, I don't really have that kind of schedule. Uh, so I could have done way better at promoting this giveaway, but I only posted two videos over the course of the two weeks. I kind of posted a couple of tweets and a couple of Instagram posts and, and Facebook posts, but I didn't hit it hard every single day like I probably should have. But we still got participants, which I'm excited about. So um, we received messages from Josie and Sheena, and I am going to play those for you right now. I'm actually going to send both people pins because I appreciated that they participated. It would be really weird if I only had two entries to give a pin to one person and not to both. So y'all are both getting pins. I've already contacted you. But thank you so much for, for participating and for everybody else. Here's what Josie and Sheena had to say about what they love most about being mixed. Yes, my name is Josie Booth. And what I like about being mixed is having a rich history of different cultures in my background. And I just love learning about all of them. I think that makes you a more open-minded person. And um, you just have a richer a richer experience too. You're, you're uh, more open-minded, and I don't know. I just think it's a, it's a better way of thinking. All right, I, I thank you. Hi, my name is Sheena, by way of San Jose, California. I love being mixed because it offers me opportunity to understand what it's like to feel whole in the in-between or in the multiplicity and I feel like that is one of the greatest gifts period all right so that was Josie and Sheena thank you so much for participating and as soon as you get your pins I hope you take a picture of them and send them to me because I would love that last thing that I'll do before we get into the episode I hope I, I don't go too long um I mentioned last week, and I've also been posting on Facebook and Instagram, the mixed up clothing, the mixed race children's clothing line uh, that is produced by Sonia Smith Kang. She was a former guest of Militantly Mixed kind of in the beginning. The episode she was on was called Each One Teach One. Her clothing line is a is for mixed kids. It's kind of an empowerment thing to, to show them that you can cross culture and everything like that and still be a whole ass person. Uh, they are using the remnant fabrics from the clothes that they produce to make masks. And for every one you purchase, one is donated to a medical professional. I mentioned last week that I purchased some and I was just waiting for them to get here. Uh, they have arrived and I posted a picture of me on Instagram wearing it. It's it's really comfortable. It's got a pocket so that I could put the, the a tissue filter in the middle, which is what I have to do anyway, because I wear glasses. So putting tissue underneath the nose area helps to keep my glasses from steaming up. Uh, the ear elastics are comfortable. It covers my whole big Japanese uh, moon face and it's great. Like I, I love it. If you need masks, I recommend this 
for two reasons. One, because you'll be supporting a mixed race business and someone who's been on the show before, but also because of the element of it for everyone you purchase, one gets donated to a medical professional. I think um, that's just an important element to try to get, you know, more masks out to the people that need them, you know, but at the same time, it's still, you know, the materials still need to be paid for and everything like that. So it's nice to be able to to buy one at $15 and know that one comes to you and one goes to uh, to a medical professional. If you can afford it, that's a great way. I think I've talked enough. Let's go on to the episode. My guest this week is a woman who has been, I think, a big part of why the Militantly Mixed private page on Facebook has grown as much as it does. She has been actively participating um, pretty much throughout 2020 so far about um, her mixed identity and sort of where she is at in, in her mixedness. And she joined the group and started posting about, you know, like this is a situation that I encountered. How do y'all feel about this? Whatever. Uh, she's engaged when other people post. And I was just really excited to be able to get a chance to talk with her. Tiffany is great. She is thoughtful and um, you know, inquisitive. She's got three kids of her own, all varying presentations and dealing with sort of how one of her children is being treated in schools over um, the way her other children are treated based off a of presentation as a big part of the conversation that we had as well. It's just, um, she's, she's just awesome. And I'm glad to be sharing her episode. The thing is that we talked for about an hour and 45 minutes and, um, I couldn't make this a two-hour episode, so I cut out a portion, like I said in the beginning, to which I'll put up as bonus material uh, for the Patreon sponsors. And this episode, you will only notice that there is an abrupt switch of of, <laughs> of uh, conversation as she ends one portion talking about her daughter, and then the next thing I say is, "Well, we're running out of time." Uh, so in that period of time, I cut out about 45 minutes of conversation just to make sure that this was a reasonable size episode. So that's the only really notice that you'll get. Uh, there was a couple little audio problems. Again, we're having to record over Zoom and everybody in the world is using Zoom right now. So sometimes the bandwidth situation is just not in our favor. Uh, so there are a couple little moments, but it's not as bad as, as um, I've had in the past. So it's still pretty good. So I hope you all enjoy this episode. I definitely did. And without further ado, please help me in welcoming Tiffany to the Militantly Mixed Family. Let's get into it. Okay, let's do this. My guest today is Tiffany. I want to say it's probably been three or four months that you've been on the Facebook group and everything, and you've been a pretty big participant in the Facebook group and everything. So why don't you introduce yourself to everybody and tell them what it is. First, I just really, really, before I introduce myself, I just really, really want to thank you for the platform that you've made available to the mixed race community. Um, Because I feel like you have given words to my observations that I've had for so long. And Mm. I've just kind of been like, is this just, 
is it just me? <laughs> you know, listening to your podcast and you, uh, um, I, I really appreciate what you've done. Um, I know that I'm <laughs> not alone in, in all of this um, and that there are so many of us um, mixed race individuals that have such wonderful backgrounds and histories and whatnot. So that being said, my name is Tiffany, um, and I guess I'm, I would say primarily biracial, mm-hmm. black and white. Um, there's a little bit of uh, Southeast Asian in the background, in the mix. Um, my mom is, I tried to remember this because <laughs> it's, it's, so my mom is mostly um, Irish, Irish, British, um, French, and German. Um, there's a little bit of Scandinavian in there. My dad is primarily Nigerian, um, from Sierra Leone, uh, Ghana, Congolese. Um, gosh, I forget what else. There's, there's and you so said, much back there. There's, you said that the Chinese is probably far back, but it's on your father's side, right? Yeah, I have to, it has to be on my dad's side. Um, when I look at my dad, and I have always thought this, he looks so, have you ever, look, have you ever seen the lead singer of the Fine Young Cannibals? My dad is very like South Pacific mm. Asian looking. Um, and so there was always this family rumor on his side of the family about, the Chinese backgrounds. And for some reason, it was always just, no, 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 we don't talk about that. And I was like, what, what is that about? And mm. so finally, when I did my DNA test, it came up that there was some, uh, there was some background of Chinese, Madagascar, and Filipino. And so when I told him, I was like, yeah, you know, dad, the room, the rumor's true. It's right. really there. He was like, oh, he's like, I thought so. So, so it's, it's, it's U.S. based though. So probably like a Chinese immigrant during the railroad, since it's so far back, you don't actually have a current Chinese relative. Yeah, exactly. It is really, really far back. Or as I, um, when I look at the trade routes mm-hmm. and, you know, it, going back to slavery, that was a part of the trade route. Right. When you follow the trade routes, it's, I find it to be absolutely fascinating how it picks up many of the different nationalities and ethnicities mm-hmm. that travel along the African coast. In terms of, if it's Ancestry.com, the reason why you get so much, so many different African ethnic groups in that is because of, of two different things are happening there. One, Ancestry does not have as many markers for the continent as other uh, providers do. So Mm -hmm. it's very limited and you're just picking up kind of what is there. But the other part of that is that if you have Bantu in your history, Mm -hmm. the Bantu people start or originate in Kenya and they migrate all the way down to South Africa and then up the western coast and Mm -hmm. into Nigeria, but kind of being like the northernmost area that they kind of settled in. So when you're picking up other countries like Sierra Leone and Ghana and stuff like that, you're picking up that migration pattern of the, yes. of the nomadic Bantu. Uh-huh. But then if you also are throwing in possibly the spice trade and the slave trade, 
-hmm. you might be getting your Asian coming through there, going into Africa and then working its way across as well. So that could be it. It could be ancient or it could be a U.S. based Chinese railroad time period because that's mm-hmm. when they first started immigrating. Right. It's, it's a really, it's, I, I like doing it too. I have done the ancestry one, but I've also done the African ancestry and they have like 35,000 oh. DNA markers. So oh. I, I know exactly what tribes my family comes from. It's three different tribes in Gabon because all they do is Africa. They don't do anybody else. Right. So oh, they're just like, that out. That's they've, really got, they've got samples uh, from everyone. And I don't know if you like you do 23 and me because I haven't done that one. I don't know. Yeah, that's the one that that's the one that we did. Oh, okay. Uh, we did the 23. We did the 23 and me. And yeah, it was uh my dad was kind of leery about it at first. He's like, "Oh, I don't know." He's like, "But that let's see if let's see if, if some of those old family rumors are true." It, you know, to be honest, <laughs> it's tough to do it as a black person. Like it is because you're, it's, you know, you're thinking about the man having your DNA now. You're thinking about ways in which it could be used against you, like systemic racism. Mm-hmm. You can't not think something could be problematic, you know, in the system for us. With, uh, with uh, ancestry, I think the biggest thing, too, is because they're so European centric. And they have so much information about those folks. Uh, when I first did my uh, Ancestry.com one, it just had me as East Asian. Like not even a designation of Japanese or anything like that. And which I already know, like my grandmother is Jap- right. Japanese from Japan. So like right. I know that it's Japanese, but Ancestry didn't know it was Japanese. And then it updates from time to time. So sometimes, uh-huh. like one day, it finally became Japanese, and I was like, "Oh, hey, everybody! I get <laughs> you to arrived, you know." Like, and then another day, it, like added a little bit of Korean and took a little bit of Korean away, and then added a little bit of Chinese and then took a little Chinese away. And so now I'm basically like coming up as like 23 percent Japanese with like one percent Korean in there. So, okay, which would make sense given Japanese occupation of Korea and all that other kind of stuff too. So. And my Japanese family, my great-grandfather's side is kind of darker skinned. So we always kind of, you know, like you have the family secrets, right? You, we always kind of think, why are you so dark? You must have had Korean or something. Uh-huh. One of the darker Asian populations right. must have been mixed in there in some way. But the DNA stuff is, is, I think it's fascinating because, especially in the case of those of us that are mixed here in the States, we don't necessarily know what our deal yeah. is. You know, exactly, exactly. You know, for so long, when people would ask me what I was, I could on the white side of my family be like, oh, you know, Irish and German Mm -hmm. and black. Yeah. And I'm like, but there's so much more. There's like, you know, there's a huge continent with lots of different countries. Yeah. You know, what is it? And um, for, I would, I would find myself when I would say Irish, German and black, that the black would come out quieter, not because I was ashamed of being black, but because I was like, but what is my black? Right. No, where, well, there's that, what, but also you were saying about the community that you were raised in. Uh, we talked, uh, when we talked earlier, it wasn't really a community that either had black folks or nope, could not only talk about black folks. <laughs> not, not a single individual. No, growing up in the countryside, um, Mennonites and Amish, they were my neighbors. They were some of my primary caretakers. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there wasn't another black individual. And because the communities are 
so tightly knit in mm-hmm. small groups, of course they all knew me and they were like, mm-hmm. oh, well, that, you know, that's Tiffany, you know, you know, come on in. There was never necessarily any question or discussion about my ethnicity. I just was who I was. But it was kind of a silent understanding that I would not grow up to be an adult in that community and marry any one of their sons or anything like that. So for the audience that doesn't get to see you right now, you do present very pale and Mm -hmm. from a certain angle might be viewed as a white woman. Yes. Also, every time you turn your face, you, your ethnicity, your racial, your phenotypes are such that you, you look black, you look like a black woman, but you have white, pink skin, but Uh curly, curly hair, but white people see you and they think white, or do they think something else? When they see me, well, usually, because you have seen me in my the hair is just undone. Well, you know, it's coronavirus. The glasses glasses are on. There are no contacts, you know, the magazine cover makeup's not on that I love to do. Um, I find that kind of whatever my stage is, I feel that I can morph to whatever that scenario is right do i need to have long straight blonde hair i can do that um do i need to lighten my skin you know not need to do i want to lighten my skin just a little bit for the particular look that i'm going for to mm. going for for the event that i'm going to i can very easily do that do i want to throw some self tanner on Sure, I can slather on a couple layers of that, and my skin will be darker, and I can, you know. Do you tan? Do you naturally Um, tan? No. I was going to say, you are a little on the pink side, even though, like I said, phenotype you read as black, but skin you read as white. I was curious. I will blister in a heartbeat. Really? Oh, my goodness. I'll eventually tan, but I need to ease into that very slowly before that deep, dark tan develops. What a skin tone is your dad? Um, my dad is very, very light, yellow-skinned black. Okay, okay. He's very, very. He, I would say that in the few pictures that I've seen of his family and his siblings, he might be the lightest one out of all of them. Okay. And one of his brothers even has the strawberry blonde hair, the green eyes, and the freckles. Okay, so you go from, bl- your hair is naturally dark like I'm saying right now, right? Yeah. But you're, you do go down to blonde sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I will take that up to level 10 platinum blonde in a heartbeat. It doesn't break? <laughs> no, um, but I have, to, I have to pay a lot of money. And right. it's just, the care is just not worth it. Yeah, my hair is very dark and I've been, I've been purple headed for about 12 years, but I stopped that about a year and a half ago when I needed to go back on the job market. So I am brown haired right now, which I don't love, but I, I can't get down as blonde as I've seen in pictures that you've had. I can't get down that far without mm-hmm. it breaking. Um, yeah. I so have I can get to orange. Yeah. Uh, it takes me a little while to get, to get past that. Um, but you know, I, I love it. It's fun. But um, ultimately, my, I have found over the past like two years as um, I have because, by the way, I'm 50, so 
it's been a long journey and a long road. There mm-hmm. aren't, I still have yet, yet to meet anybody of my age who is biracial, black and white. That's just so wild to me. I mean, I know I'm hearing it from other audience members, like other audience members and guests and stuff like that. Like I, you're not the only person who says that, but like given my upbringing, it is so wild because I grew up around military families. And so there was Uh always mixed people, but you, so right now you do live in a major city, but you live in a white suburb, a predominantly white suburb of that. Um, It's not, it's, um, I live outside of the city. Um, the town that I live in is very racially mixed. Um, there are lots and lots and lots of mixed race babies. So your kids are growing up with other kids like them. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And that's what I really, really wanted. And that's where I see, I see so many mixed race individuals and I love it. And I just, and I, ooh, and I all over them because I'm like, oh my God, they're so beautiful. We're so beautiful. (laughs) I love us so much. And I'm like, they're seven, right? <laughs> you know, it's kind of um, like. Uh, do you remember that game you used to play in the car when your kids like punch buggy or slug bug? Yes. Where you'd see like a, that was pretty much. Uh, I mean, like I said, I had to grow around a little bit more mixed folks than than not. But then when I moved to the suburbs and there were less of them, it was kind of like, oh, oh, there's a mixed person, like you know, yes. whatever the punch buggy equivalent yeah. to mixed person, mixed person. You know, you get all kind of excited. Yeah, um, and that's pretty much how it is now, even though I'm in LA, the mixed people I know are mixed people I know. Yeah. You know, not necessarily like new mixed people just right. popping up out of mm-hmm. anywhere. There was uh, the elementary school that the kids went to. It was just at the, the block where we live. And I remember one day I saw a, a mom picking up her kid who is obviously mixed race. And I was like, I need to, I need to talk to you. I need to be your friend. <laughs> we can somehow relate. And I'm like, Tiffany, that is so ridiculous. I'm like, just because she's mixed race doesn't mean that you are somehow. Going to <laughs> I was like, but I just felt this need. I was just like, I love her so yeah. much, you know? And I'm like, she's also probably 20 years younger than me, but it's just, you know, I don't see. You know what? It's people. funny that you bring up the age thing because, you know, we've been doing the social distancing virtual hangouts for, um, for the militantly mixed li- uh, listeners mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And uh, we've been doing those on Sundays and the age range most recently was the youngest person on that call was 21 and the ha- oldest person on that call was 53, I think. Oh, wow. um, there was uh, like a few 20 year olds, a couple 30 year olds, uh, a couple 40 year olds, and then a 50, a 53 year old. And we were all still in very similar, but like there was crossover between the young and the older ones in terms of how they're dealing or how they're expressing their mixedness, how comfortable Mm -hmm. they are in expressing their mixedness, whether or not they have a community around them that allows for the expression of their mixedness. You know, and then there was a couple people kind of like myself and maybe one other person, maybe two that is just kind of like, I'm in an environment, I get to do this all the time. So there's like, it's interesting how it really, it kind of really doesn't matter if you end up finding like a mixed person who's a, who's a buddy and they're 27 and you're yeah. in your 40s like me, you know, like I know we're both relatively close in age. Uh, so we'll like, you just end up being friends with this 27 year old. Like you're like, mm-hmm. why am I friends with a 27 year old? But part of it is 
we need to talk about this thing that we don't yeah. get to talk about with um, monos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with the monoracial folks, you know, because mm-hmm. they just not, even monoracial people of color don't always, they're going to understand certain, a lot of things that we experience, but they're yes. not going to understand the rejection that you'll get from multiple sides. Exactly. They're not exactly. going to accept the, the whole like, yeah, but I'm, but you're already not, you're already viewing me as not enough. You say it's the same, but then you're treating me like I'm not black enough or yeah. I'm not Japanese enough or whatever it is. So it's nice to find those little mixed people wherever you can. And if they happen to be it 20 is. years younger than you, they're 20 and years younger than you. Things, um, while our, you know, while the tapestry and the makeup of our nation is rapidly changing. Um, so I think I understand that in 20 years, whites will be the minority in the country is what the projected um, statistic is. Just this afternoon when I got home from work, my 11-year-old daughter who came in to talk to me, um, we got on the topic of race. And she was just like, yeah, you know, they say I'm just not black enough. And (laughs) and I'm like, oh, who's the they though? Her her classmate? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, let's narrow this down. You know, let's focus in on on this and see where it's coming from. You know, who is it and whatnot. And I'm just like, wow. You know, for as much as times have changed, there's so much that has still just stood still. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you know I can be in her life because it, it like at this point it does not phase my my teenage boys at all. They're like. Mm huh? There's something going on. What? No, never noticed it. Whatever. Yeah. Um, You know, it really affects my 11 year old daughter. Um, and I'm glad that I can be there to talk to her about it because there was never anybody. I grew up in it. I grew up with my maternal side of the family, Mm -hmm. um, who was all blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, (laughs) even my siblings were my half siblings okay they had blonde hair and blue eyes I was the only one in my family that remotely looked different and like I said before even though it was in our small community everybody knew who I was because everybody knew everybody and everybody looked out for everybody Mm -hmm. um I didn't necessarily get treated any differently, but there was that sort of level of understanding. Right. And I'm sure you probably did get treated differently, but didn't always see it because it was, you didn't know anything different. Yeah. And it's like, my, my grandmother, whom I absolutely loved dearly. And I spent so much of my time living with my grandparents. Um, she would say to me, for as long as I can remember, if I brought race up, I'd be like, if I heard them talking negatively about black people, I'd say, but I am too. Right. Say, no, 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 no. You're not one of them. Mm. And I'm like, and how are you supposed to feel when you hear something like that? What does that mean? And I mean, it literally, it got to a point where I would just be absolutely antagonistic to her. Right. you know, I knew where she was coming from in the era that she grew up in, and I knew she, it wasn't coming from a place, from an intent of hurt or anything like that. 
But I mean, it's still, obviously, you know, it's still hurt. Course, but I mean, right. like literally until I was 20 years old, she said the same thing. I was joking with her. I was like, oh my gosh, can you, I said to her, I was driving through town and I saw a black man and a white woman holding hands walking down the street. Can you believe it? Just joking around. And she mm-hmm. was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how things are. Wow. Nana, I said, I am. (laughs) And she's like, oh, stop it. You're not one of them. I was like, oh, I said, you know what? I said, I have to go. (laughs) It's just, you know, so like, you know, just, it always sort of dumbfounded me that I was like, do you not hear what you're actually saying? I know you see me as only white as your loved one and there aren't any other black individuals around, but yeah, that's, that's what I, that's what I grew up with in my, in my family. It was always a fallback, but you're not one of them. And the thing is like, I, and I hear this too, and we all do it. I also do it. You make the apology on behalf of your relative, like they know not what they do in a kind of a way, like they don't mean it in this way. And yet it's still is extremely hurtful thing that they're saying, because it like pulling apart what they're saying, they're both erasing your, your full picture of who you are. And also saying that there is something bad about that other part of you. And you somehow have to be grateful and or blessed by the fact that we're viewing you as not one of them, you know, that kind of thing. We took you, which, we took you in kind of. Yeah. Like, and it's so trauma, traumatized. Like I know people don't think that it is, but it is like, it, it sits is. in us. It weathers our bodies. It yeah. makes us feel as kind of way so that when we are an adult and like you, you said something like this earlier, either on this call or when we spoke before where you, Oh, where you do say you almost whisper the black because you're in a community that's not very welcoming to it but also like whether you knew it or not you had been told your whole life to whisper that Mm -hmm. you know like you're not one of them you're one of the good ones like all these things that sound positive but are really just like uh you know I had to do it myself with hiding the black from my Japanese side because we weren't allowed to be black we'd be disowned and all that kind of stuff you know and hindsight everybody's like who cares but, exactly. but at the time they cared very deeply because if they, if, if it really, really was, who cares? I could have been out of the closet as my full picture, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's that, it's that kind of thing that I think we deal with. And I think it's why we need community, a mixed community so much is because it doesn't matter what we're mixed with. All of us have that story. Oh you're, yeah. You're one of the and, good ones. You're not one of them. And I really, <sighs> I think, you know, like going back, when I think about talking with my daughter, my boys may not realize it yet. Maybe it will come into play with them later because my, you know, my three kids, they, they run the gamut from blonde hair, blue eyes, practically glows in the dark (laughs) to dark hair, olive tone, almost black as night eyes. Mm. Um, they do not look like they are related unless you, until you stagger them in the right order. And you're like, Oh, (laughs) Oh, there's like a, like a trajectory of color. (laughs) (laughs) It is. is. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And I love it. And I'm so thankful that they get to have me as a mom 
Yeah. In the fact that I've walked it before them, especially Mm -hmm. for my daughter, because it really, if you don't have somebody in your life, it's tough. Um, it is extremely hard. I see how sometimes she doesn't want to talk to me about it because she's been so hammered down. Yeah. Previous school. I mean, like we finally took her out of the school. We were just like, we can't have this uh, anymore. And it was really sad because, you know, we moved to this area for the diversity, but there was just such this divide between not necessarily just black and white, but there's just such this divide between mixed race. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it kills me to say this has not changed at all. Right. And all of these years, you know, some of the black girls have, you know, have been the worst to her. Mm-hmm. And in my dating game years, they were the ones who were absolutely the worst to me. And I was like, you know what, I'll just go back to my grandma. I mean, at least she's like, you're not one of them. (laughs) Right. Right. Is your daughter the one that's a little more olivey in her skin tone? She is. Yes. Everything about her blends together. Mm. So (laughs) people read her as not necessarily full white, but they're, but they're not reading her specifically as mixed with black or anything. Well, she's, she's, um, even though she's olive tone, she's very fair. Mm -hmm. Um, but she is extremely proud. Like she, she loves the black side of her so much. And she is so proud of it. Um, my dad lives in California and for quite some time, like, obviously, you know, we're on the East coast. She was getting really just teased horribly at school in elementary school about you're not black. You're, you know, stop. You, stop dancing like that. Why do you think that you can dance like that? You're not Mm. black. Why do you wear your hair like that? You're not black. So Mm. on and so forth. And she's like, Oh my gosh. Yes, I am part black. You know, my grand, my granddad is black. And they're like, no, no, he's not. So he came out to visit one day and happened to, there was a school function that day. And I said, Hey, why don't you walk to the end of the block? You know, Ellery would love to have you there. And she was just like, and everybody saw that my granddaddy was black. Mm. And I was like, that's, that's just so unfortunate. It's too know? bad that she has to show the credentials. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's a sad thing for, for a lot of us is having to, to prove our, you know, our credentials or whatever. Yes. Uh, I mean, I know it's an issue that I've talked about for myself on the show a little bit. Um, and yet at the same time, I'm predominantly accepted in, in the black community that I'm near but that doesn't necessarily translate if I pick up and go to a different black community, you know, sometimes it takes a minute for for people to to see it. And again, that is the thing of having to like, you know, fan it out and be like, here's all the proof. (laughs) Like here's all the things that are showing. Um, It's it's sad that she's having to do that already. Cause um, you know, you hate to see it happen to the kid. Like you do, you think like, I went through this already. Why is my little one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But you know, so you and I are both, Post loving versus Virginia, so we're both post mm-hmm. legal um, interracial marriage, I guess, yep. if you want to call it that. Um, and it's a different world for us than it was for like my parents are both biracial, and yet they were pre loving, but they were military, so they had the pass or whatever. You know, they got right. away with it, I guess. Um, yeah. But the but the world that they grew up in and the world I grew up in, even though we're not that far apart in age, is um, you know pretty significant. 
of a mm. difference. And yet you think like we're on the, what we're on the 50 years later side of loving yeah. and we're still having to That's sit there. And see. Yeah. You know, I, um, I often, I'll say to my husband, like when that comes up and I'll say it to the kids, you know, when the loving comes up, I say, I need you to understand when this was passed. Yeah. And I need you to understand when grandma and granddad got married, like there were, it was just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. It was so close. I'm like, because history, history is history, but time moves so quickly. And it's so easy for us to think that things were so long ago. But mm-hmm. when I really sit, to, you know, when you really sit down and think about it, my great, great grandmother was a slave, mm-hmm. which means that I would regularly have sleepovers with my white great grandmother, mm-hmm. which means that my great great grandmother would have been her mom. Mm-hmm. That's how close generational it is. Yeah. You know, my great grandmother, the woman that I spent lots of sleepovers with, slavery was only fully abolished and, you know, like got to the very last stop post. Mm-hmm. It was 30 years before she was born. I mean, that's yeah. crazy. When you put it in those kind of, con- like a lot of people think like, you know, slavery is over, racism's over, uh, civil rights era already happened. In 1967, when they passed Loving versus Virginia, my grandmothers were 30... 30- I'm going to do the math real fast. I think they were probably 32. Yeah. So my grandmother, my Japanese grandmother was 32 when Loving versus Virginia passed. She would, she had been married 10 years and already had three kids by this point. So even though she was in an interracial relationship, it was a military relationship. So it was a different story, but she, if she wasn't military, she would have technically had three illegal children. <laughs> mm-hmm. At 32 yeah. years old and, and things like that. You know, she's 42 by the time her first grandchild is born. And, um, and that's post-loving. So I, I, I was, you know, okay, I guess, legal, whatever. <laughs> um, on my, my, my dad's side, you know, same thing. It was a military marriage. But uh, my, my nana on that side would have only been, I think, 34. She would have probably had six kids by this point or, or at least five of them. And, um, same thing. If they were walking down the street and my, and my granddad wasn't wearing his military outfit, mm-hmm. they probably would have been harassed. Yeah. He probably would have been arrested, blah, blah, blah. But he would have had to keep his military gear on mm-hmm. just so that he could walk around with this white woman. Yeah. I was married that's, to. that's not really actually when it comes down to it, not so very long ago because for me for you we go back and we've held these conversations and these relationships with these people who are so connected to those times who Mm -hmm. lived through those times who were only years away from change of times and me that is so impactful. I feel so grateful that I had the time to spend with my great, you know, you know, my white great grandma, because it really puts the whole timeline into context for me in regards to 
the black side of my family. Mm -hmm. I know what was going on with the black side of my family. Um, I feel that it's somewhat still tangible Mm -hmm. somehow. It is. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's that close. If it's, if it's really just a generation or two back and if that generation also touches a generation or two ahead of them, Mm -hmm. slavery, like, that stuff doesn't go away. Your your family's still telling those stories, yes. you know. Uh, my great grandmother on my dad's side was ninety six when she died in nineteen ninety two. She, so she was born in in the eighteen hundreds, still the very tail end of the eighteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. Her yep. parents were slaves. So yeah. for me, that's five. That's my dad, his dad, his mom. One more generation, we go to slavery. Uh huh. That's only yeah. five generations back. Yeah. That's yeah. And then if you consider that a lot of people were having babies young back then, you know, it, it came out of fashion, but I'm, I'm a product of a teen, teen mother. My grandfather was a product of a very young mother. You know, his, my dad's parents were, I guess, relative to today's standard about the right age to be having kids at the time they had kids or whatever, you know, they were at least in their mid twenties when they started. Um, so that's why it's so close because there was, my mom was 15 when she had me and my grandfather's mom was only like 18 or 17 or something like that when, when she was married already and had her first children. So Uh that's why it's not that far back because there's a lot of teen teen pregnancies and stuff. Yeah. When you look at that generationally, it's, it's really not that, it's really not that far back. Um, on my dad's side of the family, so the family rumor has always been that well your aunt sewed the wedding gown for Jackie Onassis okay and which you know is more well known now um you can look it up and find out that the seamstress the designer for Jackie O's wedding gown the JFK was a black woman Mm -hmm. um and when you read her history, she will say that, you know, so I guess she's like my great aunt or something like that. She learned to sew from her mother who learned to sew from her mother, who was the seamstress for the head of the household that she was a slave mm. in. So it was something that was generationally passed down to her and to, you know, for her to know and to learn so closely, that was something that was passed down from, you know, the times of her, I'm sorry, her grandmother being a slave. Mm -hmm. That's really close. Yeah. Yeah, Really close. Nuts. Yeah. It's, it's so crazy to think how close, how close we are to, to that time. And, and the fact that not, not much has changed. A lot has changed, but not much has changed. There's still some very fundamental things that have been the same, whether it's my generation, my mom, my grandmother's, et cetera. And here we are entering into this pandemic right now. And even though we should all be caring about health, race was a big part of the beginning of this thing as well. Like we're not getting away from it. So we can't, we can't talk about being in the past until we can't have a new event happen in the world and somehow it's not tied to an ethnic group or something like that. Yeah. You know, um, it's too, it's too, uh, it's too a part of the fabric of who, who we are as people. It, it is. And, um, 
you know, our country is so, it's still, it's a young country. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like, for me, uh, did, did you spend time living abroad? No, I haven't. So my parents both have. My, my dad was born in Germany and, um, and they lived all over for military. My mom lived in the Philippines. She lived in Turkey. Uh, she lived all over, but I've, I've just, I've traveled. I just haven't lived outside. I've lived all over the U S though. It's just, it seems very different, um, abroad. Um, because I, it was, when I was in the Marine Corps and I was briefly stationed over in Egypt, I found it to be very interesting that it seemed like wherever I go, cause it was 30 almost 30 years ago and to begin with yeah I was in the Marine Corps I was like the only woman going anywhere in the Marine Corps with mm. hundreds of men um, people were always they wanted to know what I was like I never I never heard the question what are you until I was 21 and went into the Marine Corps really? and kind of got out into, into the world, like, yeah. you know, outside of my bubble, my little country. <laughs> so in your little bubble beforehand in the country, people, everybody already knew. So they never asked the question, right? Yeah, and they then, did. They didn't ask the question. You know, kids, elementary school kids, they were horrible, you know, like sure. every horrible name in the book. Right. You know, it, it was very delineated. Everybody knew what I was. And, you know, sometimes it was a miserable experience. But it wasn't until, like, I got outside in, of the world, mm -hmm. outside of that bubble, that people were like, what are you? I never heard that question until I was literally 21. Like, well, what are you? And I was in the Marine Corps. Um, it's almost like you became mixed when you were 21. <laughs> right? Right? <Yeah. laughs> so yeah. bizarre. Because pro until then, I was like... You know, that little black girl to everybody else except my grandma, who's like, right. oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just so when I got ended up stationed over in Egypt for a little while, um, it was the American troops that I ended up stationed with who were like, well, what are you? Mm. What are you? And I'm like, well, first of all, I, you know, I was happy to answer the question for a little while, but after a while, I was like, I have a name. Mm -hmm. Let's start with my name first, and then we can move on to my ethnic and <laughs> racial diversity. But nobody in Egypt asked me what I was. They don't Not think that way. one person. They just wanted to know if I was American. Mm -hmm. That's all they cared about. Are you American? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, I am. Anytime I've traveled outside of the country, it's always been the question about me being American. It is because of my accent. It has nothing to do with what I look like. They're never concerned with ethnic background at all. Even like sitting next to my Japanese grandma, my white looking aunt, my Spanish uncle and me with yes. you know, my mixed face. They're just asking, are you all Americans? Like, you know, and my grandma, my Japanese grandma was like, yes, we are Americans because she's been an American citizen. But like, that's all they care. They don't think that way. We're the only yeah. place that thinks this way. Yeah, really. that was um, probably, I'd have to say, the first time in my life where I was just like, oh, 
Oh my gosh. They see me as me. You know, they could just, the only thing they care about is if I'm American Mm -hmm. and that's, and can they marry me? <laughs> in the same way that you became mixed when you were 21 and, and, the, and the other Marines started asking you questions, I didn't become American for the first time until I left the country when I was 22. That was the first time I, I became an American. Because in France was where I went the very first time. Yeah. They asked me if you're American. And I was at first I was like, no, uh, yeah. Uh, like because what? I didn't I'm not an American like here I'm not an American here I'm a black Japanese and white girl yes but there I was American uh so it's, it's a weird thing too about being in other places of the world it's like suddenly you have a whole new identity I never had before That's I never true. had an American identity it is absolutely true <laughs> like, the guys I, I remember when I because I had been stationed I was part of a unit outside of, you know, I was part of a um, Pennsylvania unit. And when I went to Egypt, I was attached to a New York unit. Mm. Uh, So obviously they didn't really know me that much. So, you know, essentially what they did was they picked a few people from the Pennsylvania unit, put them with the New York unit and sent us all to Egypt Mm -hmm. together because of what our specialties were. And so obviously the New York unit didn't really know me. And then when I landed in Egypt, there were all these other units from all over the United States and they didn't know me. And I I was standing on the tarmac with my unit waiting for a plane to take us home, waiting for a plane to come in. And somebody from another unit, everybody's standing in formation, just looked over and said, what are you? And I think that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, Oh my gosh. (laughs) <laughs> the marine that was in charge of our unit was like she's a goddamn american marine what the <laughs> <she> is <laughs> and i was so embarrassed right. by his response i was kind of like i get where you're coming from for the past three weeks that's all that you've heard people asking me and you're probably like up to here with yeah. it I was like, like, imagine being me. Yeah, I'm like, you know, this poor guy was just, you know, he thought he was asking an innocent question, which it wasn't, but I was going to address that in a moment, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was just really, I just thought, that is so weird. Here I am in in Egypt, and the only people asking me what I am are the Americans. So disappointing. You know, it took a while for me to stop answering the question myself, too. Like, you know, I mean, now I'm living my life as mixed girl Maine, and I'm, you know, if I'm in a public setting, of course I'm going to share it because it's, or if I'm going to be, I guess, in a public setting, like associated with the show, obviously it's going to be out and stuff like that. But, you know, if I go to my day job and somebody asks me, I'm going to pump the brakes on that one because I'm just like, why does it matter? Why is this important information for you? It's really none of your business, you know, that kind of stuff. But getting all the way through my 20s and most of my 30s, it was me sitting there just being like, oh, I'm so exhausted by this question, but I guess I'll answer, you know. And part of answering was also pride, right? It was just like, you know, yeah, I'm I'm black and Japanese mixed woman or something like that. Um, But then also some of it was like, it's also in the way that it's asked. Like either way, it's kind of an ignorant question, but if it's, 
if it's ignorant and trying to learn to improve versus ignorant, ignorant, you know, Mm -hmm. those are two different feelings and you can usually get it off of the energy of the person. Um, if someone's just like, you know, like I've said before on the show, you're so exotic. I fucking, I used to get this all the time. It drives me nuts. You're so exotic looking. And all you're telling me is you don't look like a white girl in America. Yeah. You know, like you're so exotic looking. Hey, what are you? Can we go hook up in that back room or something? Right. You know, me, and, you know did I have or to Or it's an older white lady who's like, you're so exotic looking. And the way they're asking the question is in kind of like, a, I want to keep you like a little trinket, like show you off like, oh, this is my little mixed friend or, you know, like yes. whatever. Um, you know, it's almost like a, a thing of where like an older white person will exoticize me because I'm supposed to fit into yes. a barrel that I'm not fitting into. Yeah. Well, I think about uh, a lot about how, what am I perceiving as a 50 year old woman based on my experiences as a 21 year old woman, because the, where I work right now is an hour further outside of the city. Mm -hmm. And I'm already probably about half an hour, maybe, maybe about half an hour out of the city at the most. And to me, where I work, I feel very comfortable there. I feel mm-hmm. very comfortable in the environment. Not only just the work environment, but the physical outlier environment. It's rural. It's country. That's what I grew up in. That's what I feel Got comfortable it. Okay, in. yeah, yeah. So for the longest time, I like really wanted to start wearing my hair natural. Mm-hmm. And I was like having this big complex. <laughs> I bet it was nerve wracking given where you're at. Yeah. How, yeah. How is this going to be received? Because I've had so, you know, growing up, people would look at my blonde hair, blue eyed mom, and they think they were being so well-meaning and they'd be like, well, can't you do something with her hair? Oh goodness. You know? And I'm like, you know, my mom was like, Oh, very nice. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. And, and moving on. But you know, that was the comment that I always heard from strangers about outside of my little country bubble about my right, hair. Right. Right. Like, they'd say, they'd be looking at me and saying to my mom, well, can't you do anything about that hair? So when I had decided that I Damn. just, I was tired of constantly blow drying it, pressing it, coloring it. I just wanted it to be as it was. I wanted to be able to roll out of bed in the morning, like some, like a white person with straight hair who would just brush their hair and go to work. It's like, how are, how is it going to be received? And the feedback that I got when I started to ease my way into it was, we love your hair so much. Cause I found myself actually going into work and apologizing. I'm sorry. Oh, about no, that. really? Yeah. I ran out of product or yeah, you know, oh, I got no. up a little bit late and they were like, no, we love it. You know, keep it. We love it. And it's been like five years and I feel like my coworkers have been very empowering about just do you. Right. It's because you do, it. you change your hair up quite a bit, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's natural. Sometimes it's in locks, but they love it. And it always comes back to, they always say, 
we love your hair, but the way we love it the most is when it's just natural and out and big and curly. I mean, you got so much hair and I, I love it. <laughs> like, I know every time I've talked to you so far, you've, you've worn a natural and you've been kind of like, I know it's not done or something like that or whatever, but it's like, this is... The bigger that it is, the more that I love it. And yeah, I just, and like, I, I feel, I feel like I am sometimes hindering myself. Mm. Um, that I'm not giving other people enough credit in what they find to be beautiful and supportive of me in my mixed race heritage. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it, it probably sounds really weird, but it's something I've been working on for the past few years. I think a lot of people are in the same boat that you are. I, I don't think it's outlandish to feel the way that you feel like your world up until this point has been telling you can't you do something with their hair she's not one of like you've had all of these things training you to feel a kind of way so that when you want to be empowered for a minute you're just like but the world told me I shouldn't feel empowered you know I'm kind of looking behind myself and I'm like wait are you are you talking to me right no, like, no, wait, there's nobody else here. You have to be talking to me. <laughs> and they're like, no, we are really talking to you. Right. You know, they've, you know, they've heard me, you know, they've seen me go, go through yeah, it. They've been and, through it. You know, go through the transition and, and whatnot. But um, no, it's, uh, yeah, sometimes I, I, just, I think that maybe, just maybe, we kind of put locks on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And don't allow us to allow ourselves to fully experience the acceptance of others. I agree with that. I wish that um, we could, aside from what our experiences have been, because, you know, I feel this, I feel that maybe that's, you know, been a very, my husband and I have been together for, 23 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I, pro- and I feel like I've been a very slow opener over those mm. 23 years to him. And, and that's, and that's why, you know, yeah. that's exactly, that's exactly why it's not anything that he's ever done, right. but you know, he's always been there and supportive and encouraging me to, cause I'm like, if I go out with my hair like this, like not only are people going to be looking at me, they're going to be looking at you too. And are you right. ready for it? <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of deal. So I, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's something I work on and um, I'm looking forward to where the next year is going to be going. Because of the, that more power that you are yeah. pulling from the inside out. Now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So you said something to me the first time we talked, and I, I don't remember quite how you said it, but you kind of said it like, and please correct me, and if I say it a weird or wrong way, it was something about like your husband was kind of the the thing you needed, like the empowering force that pushed you into maybe more self acceptance or or something to that effect, like living out yeah. loud about who you are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, my husband is, um, he probably grew up in the family that I wished I would have grown up in. Mm. I mean, he grew up in the all white family that is just absolutely accepting of everybody and everything, mm. no matter what. Um, and he has been such a huge supporter. 
I know it sounds so silly and probably so dumb, but my hair has always been my biggest, biggest issue because it is the thing that shouts, oh my gosh, that girl's got something going on and Mm -hmm. it's not all white. Right. Um, And yeah, he just has always been so supportive of everything that I've wanted to do, everything that I've wanted to try. When I have not felt secure in wanting to walk out the door with my hair in just this gargantuan afro, Mm -hmm. it's like, no, it's like, you're amazing. That is beautiful. Yeah. That is you. That's what makes you you. And, you know, let's go out. (laughs) And I'm kind of like, yeah, I usually find myself maybe hiding behind him slightly Mm -hmm. a little bit in the beginning when we go out socially that way. But the feedback is always really positive. And I find myself stepping out Mm -hmm. because he has been so supportive, which I find to be absolutely honestly, really crazy. Cause I've just never had a white person support me so much like that. that right? <laughs> but again, like, I think this is a, a common thing. I mean, uh, so many outside influences are telling you what you get to be and no one is really telling you to be yourself. You finally get around someone who is like, yeah, I live out loud and it's uncomfortable. It's a little itchy and you're just like, but why, you know, and then you eat, like, I imagine even getting suspect, like, why do you want me to be myself? You know, because the <laughs> world has kind of told you not to be, um, but that you get to, that you get to do it now that you're doing it under your own power and your own steam is important to, you know, that, that you've gotten there, but that you have that support I think is important. And, Honestly, like I hear you say it, I think you probably said about four or five times where you're like, you know, I know this sounds weird or, oh, you know, sorry to say or something like that, but I'm hearing it often. You know, obviously I'm talking to more mixed people on a regular basis. I hear very similar things across the board is like the world is telling you no. And when you try to say yes, you're like, sorry, I'm going to go ahead and do this, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Um, and, and I just want to say like one of the other, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate and love so much about my husband is the fact that he does not pretend to understand what it is like to be mixed race. Um, yes, he's been married to me for 20, almost 21 years and we've been together for 23. Um, and he's been out with me in public situations and scenarios where, you know, I very actively present as black, even though I probably look like a glow in the dark, (laughs) but until our daughter started experiencing issues, Mm -hmm. um, with being mixed race. And I think it really hit home for him um, when other kids came up to him and said, oh yeah, they always treat her that way. Mm. And this is why. And he was just like, oh my gosh. And he like just really has done a deep dive into really feeling, learning, watching, observing, supporting her, educating her adult friends. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the majority of all of our friends are, you know, are 
monoracial white for the most part. Um, and you can't, unless you're experiencing something else, you don't know how to experience it or how to take it. Right. So he very, very actively says, oh, no, but wait, this is the part that you don't understand. And it's okay that you don't understand that because you've not ever experienced that. So let me educate you on being multiracial and what it means for, you know, my child or my wife. So, right. Um, But we are, we are kind of running a little bit over. So before we wrap up, you know, I do like to ask all of my guests this question. Uh Uh, I don't know if you prepared for it because I know you listen and everything, but what do you love most about being mixed race? Well, I have really thought about it, and there are so many things that I love about being mixed race. And this might sound extremely shallow, but I don't care. (laughs) I love the ability that I physically change so many things about me to represent or morph into another race. Because to me, that in the end can open the door to conversation and education and not necessarily maybe changing somebody else's mind, but to look at something in a different way that they've never looked at before, mm-hmm. to take into consideration that what they thought to be reality or what they thought to be true may not necessarily be true, and they need to open up their minds a little bit and yeah. give a little more leeway to what's out there. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I know we, it's, it's been like a month ago since we first started talking uh, to actually do this and then coronavirus happened and kind of threw off our schedule and everything, but I appreciate you coming on with me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I appreciate also that you're such a participant in the group as well, because I think that is very helpful too. It was a slow starter to like get that group kind of communicating more, but it's starting to happen a little bit more. And I, I think that has a lot to do with, uh, with your participation in it as well. Thank you. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.